good morning. We're waiting. Uh, welcome to everybody who's also watching with us live online right now. And uh, we hope that you'll be able to join us again very, very soon here live in the Ritz Theater. Uh, again, I just want to say to everybody who's gathered here, uh, what a special day this is. Uh, I got a chance to walk up and down the kids' wing, and, and it's exciting for me to think about teaching those young ones about Jesus, uh, to be up there, and then to watch over the course of the weekend how many people have served here in a just a, a breathtaking way. Uh, everything from the event over there in the park, we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, every corner occupied. It was awesome uh, to be here. And we've been in a series we're calling Don't Worry. And so normally this is the kind of thing where you go, oh, okay, we're going to we're going to go ahead and, uh, and uh, you know, charge the hill or something. It's supposed to be this deeply inspirational uh, kind of sermon, you know, uh, maybe David and Goliath or some battle of Jericho maybe or something like that. Don't worry. <laughs> That's my message for you today. What do you do when God calls you to something that's terrifying? So, give you an example. And there's a long storied history of God's people being afraid of the assignment that they were given. It goes way back. Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to uh, let my people go. You know what? I'm not very good at, at, at speaking. Uh, he may have stuttered when he said it, in fact. Uh, it could be Jeremiah, I want you to preach repentance to the nations. And he says, I'm too young. I can't do that. Jonah, I want you to go to the Ninevites. I don't want to do that. Uh, jo Joshua, Caleb, and the other 10 spies, I want you to go to Jericho, and I want you to spy out the land, I want you to go to Canaan, and I want you to hide out, and I want you to go check out so that we're ready to charge the hill when the time comes, and 10 of the 12 come back, Moses goes, how was it? Can we take them? Nope, we can't take them. Too big, too strong. So maybe think of the point that we're at now, right here, this is going to be a conversation today about a very truthful, frank conversation about the fact that at this very moment now, as of today, as of this very moment, we have reached a new place. This is the point where the roller coaster that we just got on is clicking and going slowly up the hill. And eventually we'll drop in and then we're off and going. Now roller coasters, as you know, are an acquired taste. Not everybody likes roller coasters. Uh, roller coasters, though, and, I, and I've always been interested in why it is that some people are absolutely terrified of them. Other people can't get enough. They go find the biggest, baddest, fastest roller coaster that they can find. So why is it that some people love roller coasters and some people are terrified of them and can't stand them? And I'm going to suggest to you that a lot of it is, is here. It's the world you create in your mind. And from a spiritual standpoint, why is it that a lot of people would love to do something like this or, or have entertained the idea of doing something like this and decided that they would never do it? And I think a lot of it is what's up here. When the roller coaster starts clicking, sometimes you have that little pit in your stomach, that feeling of regret. It's like being a kid and deciding at the, at the city pool all of a sudden, uh, hey, there, everybody's jumping off the diving board. That looks like great fun. I think I'll do that too. So you get on the ladder, you wait your turn in line, you get on the ladder, and you go up. And when you finally get out on the edge of the diving board, what you realize is it's a lot higher than you, it looks from down below. And you'd like to go back. But when you look behind you, there's just people piled on the ladder getting up. There's no way you could get down even if you wanted to. So you have no choice. You got to go. You got to dive. And the only way you really get yourself in trouble is when you decide that you're going to kind of dive. Right? When you, you can pencil dive. You can just jump off and go straight in. Or you can dive. 
But if you're indecisive, that's when disaster strikes. That's the belly flop. So you got to decide, am I going to go all the way or am I not going to go all the way? But pick one or the other. Okay, This is our decision to climb the ladder, to go out on the edge, and to say we're going to dive. So as we go through this today, I want you to think about, in the, in the theme of worry, okay, um, about this awe-inspiring passage. I want you to picture that you've been following Jesus for some lengthy period of time. Uh, I'm talking here about the apostles, but put yourself in their shoes, all right? Jesus has a couple of words for us, and they go, don't worry. But listen to what he says to them. This is Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 19. He says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That sounds great, doesn't it? He says, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious. So you can underline that. Don't, don't be anxious. Do not fear. Don't worry how you are to speak or what you're to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. He says, listen, the mission I'm calling you to is dangerous. It is difficult. It's fraught with peril. Okay, but it's, it's doable. So you can start there thematically. What God calls you to do, he will get you through. That's what he's saying to them. Listen, I'm going to be with you. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about what you're going to do. Bad things are about to happen to you. But when they do, I'm going to be with you. Now, that seems fairly underwhelming as a, as a Victory Sunday message. But I feel like pastor to church here. That, that, that we need to make sure that we enjoy the honeymoon. That's important. But we also need to understand that what we have signed on for is a great, great journey and voyage that God is taking us on. And that our intention is not to half dive. Okay, our intention is to go all the way and just say, you know what, we know how to dive. And yes, this is a lot higher than we've ever dived before or divin or whatever word that is. Uh, and, and, and we're going all the way in. And here's what that means. And here's why we're doing that. I want to take you back to the city of Athens. You read about it in Acts chapter 17. Uh, and if you have a Bible, Bible app, version Bible app, and want to go to Acts 17, go ahead and go there. This is Paul's missionary trip to Athens. Now, that's a fancy way of putting it. In actuality, he's go, he goes there in hiding. He's fleeing yet another beating, another shipwreck, another term in prison for doing what God wanted him to do. And so when Paul gets there, they basically say, listen, you're going to get killed if you stay here. So they grab him under cover of darkness. They take him and they drop him in Athens. And they basically, you kind of get the sense that they told him, hey, look, man, just hide out here and we'll come get you and we'll, 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 we'll deal with it later. Okay, but just hide out here in the safe house. So Paul, and this was the text that I preached to this church on the last Easter that we were actually at the Juniper property. All right. And I want to take us back there because it forms the theology of this particular project, all right, in, for, in the way that we're approaching this, okay? Now, Paul has a tough time staying out of trouble. So here's, in Acts 17, 16, it says when it, that Paul looks around and he sees all the idols in the city, and while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. So one of the things that provokes him is that he looks around and what he sees devastates him. It breaks his heart. It bothers him. It riles him up. He has a burden, okay? So at that point, 
normally what you do, they're, they're, you have a, a crossroads, right? Maybe you've been in one of those before. You look at something going on in the world and you go, oh, that bothers me. That, that, that's disgusting. That's rude. That's, that's violent. That's whatever. And, and people make a decision at that point. I withdraw from it so I'm not corrupted by it. Now, there are times to do that, I think. Uh, I throw myself into it because I want to be a light in darkness. And that can't stand. So I'm going to lend every piece of energy that I can to that cause. I want to lend every piece of... So Paul takes that path. He sees what's going on. He sees the idolatry. And instead of staying on lockdown where he was supposed to be, he just walks out. And not, not only that, he doesn't stand out on the edge of the city watching it or condemning it. He doesn't sit there and change channels, pumping as much of the, the, the bad stuff in society into his head. He walks right down Main Street. He goes right down the marketplace of Athens. And he looks around, and he doesn't even just cast judgment on as he as he walks around. He decides he's going to engage. So he goes in, and he sees the people. And I remember, uh, I remember uh, was when we were um, moving to California. I learned this very, po- uh, very potent lesson, and it goes something like this: that we can't change a world we're not in. We can't change a world we're not in. Uh, God put us here for a very particular reason, and I think, I think that at this particular moment in time, he's called this church to this particular mission. When we were moving to California from Texas, I had people in the church there at the time tell me, you don't want to move to California, that's no place to raise your kids. Right? Because the idea there, and think about the theology behind that, that if you go to a place where, now of course there's no sin in Texas, right? There's none, all right? That, that's the way they see it. California's land. Now, they forgot I was born here and raised here myself. So even in the act of saying it, it was kind of like, well, what about me? I, I grew up out there. Am I totally awful? You know, but there's, there's a fear-driven approach to mission. You don't want to go to a place that's hard. You don't want to go to a place that's dangerous. You don't want to go to a place that's corrupt. And I found myself going, what, wait, 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 wait. What, what, where did we get the idea that you can change the world by cursing it from afar? Where do we get the idea that all the people that are, quote-unquote, out there are bad people? That, that everybody out there is, is, is like the, uh, in the armpit of Sodom and Gomorrah as opposed to Cornelius, who was a great guy, had all sorts of Christian values, and he just hadn't actually found the Lord yet. But he was a great guy. He was a Christian. He just didn't know it yet, essentially. <laughs> and so there's that moment where people have to take a path one way or the other. There's a time to do both. There's a time where if you're Joseph and Potiphar's wife's coming on to you or whatever, you've got to get out of there. Uh, there's times when you, you wipe the dust off your feet and you move on. And then there are times that you do what Paul does here. I have a friend that uh, he was in uh, right, very early in his ministry. It's a, it's a, he's pastor at Central Christian Church in Las Vegas. And, of course, getting somebody to come there that has young kids and raise their kids in Vegas is a bit of a challenge. But he, he and his wife embraced it. They took it on. And um, they, he tells the story of uh, uh, a time when his kids were, were, he was driving in the car with his kids and they kept pointing at the billboards of, of, of scantily clad people on billboards. And uh, here's a little boy, I think it was seven or eight years old at the time, <laughs> points at the gal and says, hey, that's my favorite stripper. And, and, and them going, you know, <laughs> of course you can imagine that. No, no, we do not have a favorite stripper, okay? We do not, okay? But that, that way of looking at things could have meant, okay, that's it, we're out of here, see it. Okay, well, what about that? 
Let me ask you this. What if God had taken that approach to the world? What if God had been so fed up with our sin that he, he wouldn't send Christ because he didn't want his son to be defiled? What if? What if Paul never goes to Athens here? Because the idolatry he sees, Paul engages the marketplace and he moves toward people. He goes in, and the, and the fundamental conviction behind it is, A, God's called me to this. B, somebody's got to do something. Okay, in that if God has called me to do this, even if he's on the run for his life at the time, he still does it. Like, there's a fearlessness that goes with mission, or ought to, because there's a feeling that the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. And if you really believe that, then when you go outside, you shouldn't be terrified of people. You should be able to walk among them, like Jesus did, friend of sinners. That was his label. It was not meant as a compliment at the time. It was meant as an insult, but it was a label put on him. Here's what he does, Acts 17, verses 17 to 21. So Paul goes down the main street of Athens into the synagogue, and it says this. It says, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate, so he just goes in and starts debating with people, uh, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. So again, he's supposed to be on lockdown. It's not safe out there. Now he's in front of the high council in Athens, okay? They took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. And so he goes in, and that's what he does. He starts talking about the latest ideas with them. And they call him a babbler. Now, the Greek word there is used for, like, a, if you've ever been to a, a farm or something where they throw seed on the ground, you've got chickens and roosters running around, and the hen will just peck at the ground. It's like a pecker of seeds is the word there, right? So it's kind of like this guy's just like a, he just goes around, gobbles up, whatever. He has no idea what he's talking about. Well, Paul turns out that he's a, a lot smarter than they think he is at the time, and he's fully conversant in all the philosophies. He engages the Epicureans and the Stoics and all these different things, and he's able to do it because he hadn't so isolated himself. He was very conversant in the philosophies of the day. And there are people in our city and around the country right now that think that all Christians are babblers. What I mean by that is, they don't know anything. They're anti-intellectual. They're anti-cultural. We got nothing in common here. You guys are in, this is their way of thinking, you guys are into fairy tales. We're into science and culture and, and, uh, and those kind of things. Right? That's how people, quote unquote, out there see Christians. What's this babbler? What are these babblers talking about? becomes the, the question, right? Hence, the need for some group of Christians somewhere, and there are many all around the world. We're certainly not unique in this regard. But somebody in our city, in our location, in this time, in this moment, has to take that seriously. And has to be willing to say, not only are we going to go in and just walk around you, we're going to engage you. We're going to live among you. We want you to come move in with us, essentially. 
And so the analogy I've used here with our church repeatedly is we want this to be the house in the neighborhood everybody wants to hang out with. So instead of screaming back, there goes the neighborhood, we're saying, oh, no, no, no. We're going to take the house. We're going to build it right here, and now we want everybody to come in. We're embracing the neighborhood instead of cursing that the neighborhood's gone to whatever, right? It's a different way of thinking. Paul knows the philosophies and the poetry of his day. He uses it to teach people the gospel. If you go back to verse 21 there, uh, as was the case back then, there are still people who love to just, they'd like to talk about new ideas and the ideas of the day. Okay, so what do you do when you're in the marketplace? Now, I don't have this on the slides for you, but I'm going to read it to you. Okay, this is Paul standing before the council, and he addresses them this way. Okay, I get maybe I should do it this way. Men of Athens, I noticed that you're very religious in every way, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars has this inscription on it, to an unknown god. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I'm telling you about. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and to perhaps feel their way toward him. Let me rewind that tape real quick for you. His purpose, this is God's purpose, was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him, though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist. And there he's quoting a philosopher of the day. As some of your own poets have said, there he goes again, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he appointed, and he proved to everyone, uh, proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. So let's just very quickly few things that Paul does here. Begin with this. See the good. Got to see the good. He starts off, he's like, I see in every way that you're a very religious people. That's how he takes the idolatry situation. And he looks and he goes, hey, they're spiritual. Uh, now, they're worshiping the wrong gods, but they're spiritual. And do we, I mean, I picture it. I mean, this is, I'm going to play around with it for just a second, but yeah, you're driving, you're walking down Grand one day and you see people getting hammered in bars, and you go, <laughs> I see you were very thirsty, you know, or something like that. <laughs> uh, let me give you the water and tell you about the water that you're thirsty for, or something like that, right? That's kind of the, what he does here. He looks down, he sees the idolatry, and he goes, he goes, listen, I see that you guys are spiritual. You have this statue over here that says, to the unknown God, because they're worried that they might have missed somebody, basically. There's a God here that we may have not have left out, so we're just going to put to the unknown God over here he is. And he says, let me tell you about that guy, the God you don't know. And then he takes them right through the history of God's activity and all creation, takes them all the way through. Now, that ability to see the good is very, 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 very important. Amen. And that's one of the things that I think we Christians can grow a lot in. 
Uh, because along the journey to, to, to get into this moment right here, we have met some extraordinary people. Extraordinary people who kind of worship the unknown God, if that makes sense. And one of the reasons that when we started New Vintage Church, we put our, you know, our three core values, worship, mission, community, and, and when we framed the mission piece, when we worded that out, it starts as missionaries to our society. Okay? Meaning, if you belong at New Vintage Church, you're a missionary, which is a different mentality than a person who comes in thinking that uh, what I want to do is find the best, warmest Christian cocoon I can find. Totally different. This is one that says, no, 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 I'm going in. I'm glad to go in because I love people. I'm willing to step in. We are willing to step in and be friends to sinners. That was a, that was a pejorative term that the religious people of his day threw on him. Friend of sinners. We ought to welcome that label. We ought to welcome that label. Okay, just like he did. And it's like, hey, there are worse things than being people's friends that, that are outside of things. Do we have to be enemies? Do we have to be enemies? Or can we be people that, I know, I know that in this day we would disagree about the, the, whether the sun was coming out tomorrow. Okay, everybody disagrees about everything and we don't allow for any disagreement anymore. This place, this journey is a radical experiment in cooperation and in for, for, for lack of a better term, almost like cohabitation. Can everybody get along? Now, we're not changing our message. We're not changing our, uh, our teaching. But it's us embracing our calling and the root of why we started this church in the beginning, nine years ago. The name, New Vintage. I've been asked no less than a dozen times over the last week, what is with the name, New Vintage? Where did that come from? I said, well, two places. There's a biblical root, and then there's a, a strategic root, okay? On the, on the strategic side, it's new and old, right? The new vintage, new vintage, right? Uh, kind of a, uh, what do I call it? I don't know. Yeah, I use words for a living, right? But I can't come up with one today. But it's a paradox, right? New and old. We want to be contemporary in what we do, always growing, changing as we need to. But the root is we are firmly rooted in the historic Christian faith. So that's where that, that piece comes from, okay? On the scriptural side, there's two verses, or two places in the scriptures that the, our name comes from. Obviously, new and vintage, that, that has wine imagery in it, right? So one of them is Jesus' words, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Our commitment to putting ourselves in Christ firmly, all times, all places. And the wedding at Cana where Jesus turns water into wine in order to allow that celebration to continue. We wanted our church to be a place of joy. So when we set out to kind of take our next step, one of the things that we looked at is, okay, how can we do those two things? Because churches are not known for being places of joy. And certainly not for outsiders. We have a lot of fun inside. But to the people out there, not fun. In fact, we define boring to them. Like if you want to take a person out there and say, give me... Like, what you're doing right now is the very definition of boring to people who are not part of the body, okay? But we wanted to be people who could help, and it's, boy, does a society we're in need joy like the desert needs the rain, man. We are a joy-free world right now, okay? Other than those little flickers you get at your house. But out there, this is a tough neighborhood if you're looking for joy. We have an opportunity here 
to help create moments of joy and interaction with peop for people. And so we take that seriously. And we don't look at that and go, oh, no. Instead, we say we're excited for the opportunity to do that, and we're not afraid of it. So here we are, the Ritz Theater, October whatever it is today, the 11th. Happy birthday, Olivia, my 16-year-old sitting right here. This is her 16th birthday. Yeah, amen. In 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, Paul says this to the church at Corinth. He explains a little bit more his ways. He, he says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Not because he's a coward. Not because he's a coward, but because... He does it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Okay, that's the evangelistic heart you see on display in Acts 17. Okay, what I'm, what I'm trying to help us understand is that we are going to, uh, now, now to varying degrees that you're comfortable with, but the church and its direction has not changed in nine years. And it won't change going forward. If anything, this is a time more than ever for us to kind of keep the course and to say we're planting our feet firmly in the historic Christian faith. We're willing to do almost anything short of sin to reach people and, and help them meet their God because it says, and God's intention was that people, that he would bring the nations to himself, that they would feel their way toward him. We are saying to our community, come on in and feel your way toward him, though he's not, he's not far from any of you. So picture it like a dark house or something. You're playing hide and go seek in there and you're over in the corner like this and people are going, you know, like this. You're not far. You're right there. And we're saying, you come in here, and, and if you're looking for God, we will help you. We will help you meet the unknown God that you search for. That's what we're here for. Now, in order to do that, we're going to need to get serious about uh, loving people in ways maybe we haven't done uh, recently. It means being able to bless people who curse you. It means being able to, to tolerate things that uh, maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable at times, but this is not, and I, I've said this as often as I can to the church, this is not a church building. If anybody's watching online and you're confused about it too, this is not a church building. Uh, this is something that the church, we happen to own it, we happen to operate it, but this is something we are opening up for the use of the people that, that anybody wants to come in here, we're going to try to make it a place that they feel at home. We're just going to be in here too, right? We don't have to be separate. And we believe in the power of relationship and that if we are willing to uh, take that seriously and very prayerfully and very diligently, keeping our roots down, that this will be a place where it will be a light unlike other lights in this area because it will be one of the few places where the world finds a way to get their act together, get along with each other, and do things that produce joy and light in the area they're in. And we're going to see people coming to Christ that you would have thought, you, you know, if I wrote their name on a note card today and introduced you to them and I said, look, three weeks, four weeks, three months, four months from now, three years, four years from now, they're going to come to know the Lord and you and I put a bet on it. You had to bet one of your children on it. You'd say, no way. And you're going to stand there just like everybody looked at Paul, the man who preached this sermon and said, there's no way he's ever going to become a Christian. And now here's Paul under threat of death saying it to them. Preaching the gospel under threat of violence. They thought it would never happen. And part of the reason we did this is because we know, because we're people of faith and we don't worry, 
there are Saul's of Tarsus's all over the place out here. You never know who the next great preacher is going to be out there. They might be that guy that you just walked up to that was getting plastered at the bar and said, hey, I see you're very thirsty or whatever, right? That, that person that you think is hopeless and totally beyond hope, look, no offense, but I know some of your stories in this room. You were pretty stinking hopeless at times too, okay? And that's the beauty of the gospel. No one's beyond his reach. He says it right there. No one's beyond his reach. So, Will you join us in doing this? Okay, how do we do this, right? You work from the thick to the thin. That's what Paul does here. What I mean by that is you find your common ground. I see you're very religious, <laughs> right? Uh, he, he talks with them on their own terms, poetry, philosophy, things like that, right? So for us, it might be music, film, uh, stuff, you know, that, 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 that is the language of the culture that we live in. Um, the problem w that often happens is that when an Acts 17 situation comes up in a lot of churches, you don't have people there that are conversant in the things of the culture because they wear it as a badge of honor that they don't know about any of those things. I know a lot of, a lot of Christian people who I ask them, hey, have you seen you know, such and such a show? And they go, oh, no, no, we don't watch TV. It's like, okay, and that's their choice. I'm not, I'm not judging them. I'm just saying you can't have everybody in that camp or when people come in from the outside, you have nothing really to talk to them about. When, when you try to explain the gospel to them, it's like you're preaching to them from Mars. They, they just, you got to have some bridge, some way of having common stuff to talk about so that you can get to the next point and relationship can grow. Um, Paul says uh, in these different things, and I want to take you to Acts 17 real quickly. Here's how it ends. So they hear Paul give this brilliant sermon. And it says this. It says, when they heard Paul speak, this is Acts 17, 32 to 34, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. Others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, member of the council, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Okay, So here's what I'm going to say. People are going to make fun of you at times. They're going to make fun of us at times. Par for the course. Par for the course. Other times, they're going to go, yeah, I'll hear a little more about that. It's also par for the course. And then other times, you're going to see people go, ah, I was blind, but now I see. And then people end up coming to the Lord because of it. In antiquity, the God who ruled the battlefield was Phobos, the God of fear. We use that, that language all the time. But there are a lot of people uh, who just never engage. They're not willing to engage the culture because they're afraid of the cost. Let me take you back to the diving board. We've climbed the steps, we're out on the edge, and I don't want God to have to go from behind, right? I want us to do, I guess, the equivalent of a cannonball. I want us to stand back at the ladder and sprint to the end, jump, bow, wangy, 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 wangy into the air, and then boom, and then get out and do it again. Because that's what we were put here for, right? Fear isn't something that's of God. It's not something that we, now we got a lot of obstacles, right? Got a lot of obstacles. Oh, some of them will be financial, right? Contrary to popular belief, this was not free, okay? Uh, some of them will be spiritual. We're a bigger target now, 
people will find ways that if they don't like what we're doing to pick on us and say bad things about us and do be petty and do a bunch of different things. Some of them will be physical. I see a lot of masks out there and that's, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We have to limit the number of people who can come in, not the way you draw it up on paper, but nothing about this has been the way that it was, you know, you dreamed about it. It's just something that has happened. And, but instead of sitting there and going, oh no, you know, this is gonna be this and that. No, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's just throw our arms around it and not worry. So if we go out of sheep amidst the wolves, he says, don't worry, don't worry. They're gonna do this and this and this and this. Don't worry. I will give you everything that you need. I will give you everything that you need. That we're going to let our calling, not our fear, determine our behavior. Our calling will determine what we do, not our fear. And we will embrace the calling that God has given us. We've gone up the steps to the end of the diving board. Now we're on the edge and it's time, time, time to do the big cannonball. So let God's people say amen. We're going to take communion at this time. We're going to gather around the Lord's table. I'd like to invite the band, if they can hear me, come on out, guys. We're going to, uh, they're going to lead us in some worship here in just a moment. Here's Riley. She's going to play some music. You should have gotten a, a little bag uh, with communion. We're doing it this way until uh, the COVID era is behind us. Um, uh, we want you to feel safe as you do it. If you do not get one, if you'll raise your hand. Okay, we have some over here. Um, I don't know if anybody's seen it. Oh, way to go, Wayne. All right, the great Wayne Clark is here. There's somebody behind you over there too, Wayne, if you can catch him. Just keep your hand up and we'll bring him to you. If you're not familiar with communion, you don't know anything about it. Um, communion is something that's been done from the last, I mean, the earliest days of the church. When we take the bread and we take the cup, the bread symbolizes the body of Christ. Yeah, right over here. If, when you take the cup, it symbolizes the blood of Christ that was shed for us on the cross. If you want to look at the distance God is willing to travel and the extent of his love, look no further than the cross. I look no further than the cross. If you want to know how passionately God loves sinners like us, look no further than the cross. That's what we remember now with bread and cup. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, right now with bread and cup, we give you honor and praise in the act of taking the body and blood of Jesus, Father, we say yes to you. We accept, Father, the mission you've given us as a church, and today here is the body of Christ. We thank you for being willing to be a friend of sinners, because if you weren't, Father, we would have no hope at all. <laughs> but because of your great love for us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So now, Father, made that reminder enter our very bones so that as we get up from today, Father, we are ready to invite, to bring, to, to, um, to let the world know that you can come feel your way toward God here. And he's not far from you. So, Father, now we take communion in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the great friend of sinners, we pray. Amen.